podcast featuring candid conversations with the city's most interesting thinkers, makers, and characters. I'm assistant editor Ramona Denice, and I'm here today with Portland journalist Lee Vandervoo. Lee's just-published book, The Fish Market, explores who really owns America's oceans, what it's like to be a fisherman in today's sustainable seafood movement, and how you can make better choices at the dinner table. All right, we're rolling. So, Lee... You are, if I'm not mistaken, an East Coaster. Is that correct? Originally from the East Coast, yes. Okay. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you feel about seafood. Well, I I love it. Um, I think I've written in Portland Monthly in the past that it was a real staple in my household growing up. My stepdad was a recreational fisherman, so we always had fresh fish around. It was just a thing that we did as, as a family, you know, go fishing, shuck clams hang out and eat seafood, it's still what we do. Mm -hmm. And how did that translate to your new book here, which just came out, which is called The Fish Market, Inside the Big Money Battle for the Ocean and Your Dinner Plate? This is a book that just came out. Why did you decide to uh, go big with this topic? Well, the topic was a topic that just kind of kept on giving. I've been a reporter out here since the late 90s. I've gotten more and more new investigative reporting in my career, and I actually wrote a story about seafood, I think late 2011, and I was in a bar um, complaining to some friends that I was never going to do it again, and somebody bet me on the spot that they could get me to do it, and they started telling me about this topic, about how there was a push in America towards sustainable seafood that was really having a lot of unintended consequences in coastal communities. And so as I got deeper and deeper into the material, I think my background kind of growing up on and around boats made it easy for me to go out to the dock and talk to people and and start to get a flavor for not really just what was the policy, but how it was playing out on the ground. Mm-hmm. So how does this work? I think you've referred to it in your book is kind of a feudal system in certain ways. Do I have that right? Where you have kind of the rulers of the high seas and then you have you have renters, you have leasers, you have people who are making very small margins to stay on the ocean and a very small number of people who are reaping huge rewards. Yeah, I've certainly had people use that word feudal with me. Um, I, I'm not sure it's a word that, that I would use. Okay. I, I would say, um, I describe the system this way, right? The idea was, was if we give fishermen a stake in, in keeping the ocean sustainable, healthy, um, they'll want to take care of it forever. It is a system that's based on private property rights, and the idea is sort of like give 100 people a house and they'll want to paint it. They'll want to keep the shutters nice and and trim, they'll want to cut their grass. The presumption was that no one would ever become a landlord. And in fact, that's sort of what happened here. We said, okay, let's give people an ownership stake in the ocean as a means of making that ocean ecologically healthier, um, making fishing safer, and, and boosting the value and the quality of seafood products. And people in the industry will be more richly rewarded. They will become conservation conservationists. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them became landlords. So we now are in a time where we're seeing people who actually go out to the sea and bring this food to us become 
uh, more and more disconnected from the rising value of seafood. Um, a lot of that upside is today being captured by landlords, if you will, on the ocean, where workers are really fighting for their share. In that sense, how are the economics for small fishermen different than they were before? You know, you referenced small towns on the Oregon coast really struggling, communities that had, had been very seafood focused for a while and perhaps are less so now. But my impression is that fishing was always kind of a very scrappy industry, that the profit margins were always very slim or risky for these small communities. How is it different now for those small towns, particularly in Oregon? Well, indeed, it has always been a scrappy industry, and it has always been an industry where people really bootstrap their way through, no doubt. Um, I think what's different now is the ability to, whether you go to work or don't go to work as a fisherman is controlled by somebody else. Um, you can't just get in your boat and go out. You cannot just go in your boat and, and get out. Um, it used to be that if you had a fishing license, so long as you played by the rules, you could go to sea and you could do your job. Now, because the access to the sea, if you will, is controlled by people who own these ocean properties, um, you can't just get in a boat and go. You have to buy your way in. And that is becoming increasingly more expensive, and it's putting a lot of downward pressure on workers. It's interfering with their ability to really sustain the small businesses that have been the lifeblood of coastal communities for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Is there a better way in the research that you conducted for this book? And you went out, you went all over the, the nation, you know, and, and it seems like you spent some serious time on the water as well. Um, in your conversations with people on the ground, in the policy room, did you come across any ideas that, that you think should be tried to kind of better marry the economics of the situation with the environmental aims? Yeah, I really did. Um, Everywhere that I went, what I heard was that there were a lot of things about this system that were really working very well. The products are definitely better. You know, it used to be that they... By would, products, you mean you mean the fish. The fish are better. Yeah. The fish are definitely better. It, it used to be that fish had a way of coming into port all at the same time. And that was part of the problem, was that fishing was controlled by seasons and products had a way of piling up. It would take processors days to deal with them. They'd have to be frozen. It made them kind of nasty. Like halibut, for example, that was a fish that 20, 23 years ago just came to market as a hideous frozen brick and costs about $2.99 or $3.99 a pound. Now you see it in the Whole Foods. It's $28 uh, a fish. It's a, it's a great, great fish. Um, Price is getting a little out of reach for some people, which is a separate issue, but you can see how being able to slow the supply down, steady it, steady it, give people the opportunity to take better care of the seafood, made it a better thing. It also makes it much safer to go and fish, so there are those gains. That said, the private property piece is sort of mucking it up. That's the piece that's making really, really difficult for coastal communities to hang in there. Um, if these rights to the fish were 
expired at a certain point. If they were leased like any other natural resource in America is leased, like timber, like wind energy uh, on public lands, like mines or geothermal, there could be these private market gains without sort of the crushing consequence of people being locked out of the fish or locked out of the ocean. A lot has been said about the difficulty of actually getting that fish to markets like Portland. Even though we are so close to the ocean, a lot of seafood that's fished kind of on the Oregon coast goes through big wholesalers, right? Leaves the country pretty fast. Do you see that as being an impediment to getting that that fresh, local, small-time harvested seafood to restaurants here? I do. you know, there's a his, for example, there there's a really historic demand for our sable fish in Oregon and Japan. Um, that's a fish you'll see it on menus sometimes called butterfish or black cod. It's an amazing fish. It is so good. It's really omega rich. Um, people in Oregon often don't understand that that is our local fish. The markets have so favored its sale overseas. Um, the prices are simply better that mostly is just simple economics. Um, The folks that sell these fish are going to go where the highest dollar is. Um, If we had more of an understanding in places like Portland that, hey, this is local seafood and it's worth paying a premium for because it's caught in many cases by little boats, people making an honest living, sustaining our Oregon communities, maybe it would have more play locally and be able to be brought to market here instead of elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the trade-off in increasing people's awareness of the fish that's around them and encouraging them to eat more, balanced with the fact that people are afraid that fish won't be around for for their children to enjoy the way that we can? That is a very delicate dance, isn't it? I mean, I, I put my faith in the science behind these fisheries and in, I mean, what, despite the, some of the fallout of this particular program, one thing that we can say straight up is that the United States has some of the most sustainable seafood in the world. Um, that is very reassuring to me, that we're not going to pitch over that limit. We may see prices rise as a result of constrained supply, and that's just a reality. Um, I'd like to think that there's opportunity to bring more farm product into our marketplace to to supplant for that. But we do have to be a little bit conscientious about we're eating, you know, wild creatures here, and there's there's a cost to that to the ocean and um, to our ability to keep eating. I guess. Mm-hmm. Would you say overall you feel positively about this industry, about its future? I feel really positive about the products because I love seafood so much and it makes me happy to see fish coming to market that is really well cared for and that people are thinking much more carefully about. I think that's a great transition in spite of the fact that there are some quirks in this system. Um, But when I think about the fate of my coastal neighbors, it makes me a little bit sad. It makes me sad to see boats going out of business, families losing generations of, of hard work and industry, and 
coastal communities themselves trying to reposition and, and gain their footing after so much job loss. I don't think we need to be there. Yes, on the long play. Your book is on shelves. The fish market inside, indeed. inside the big money battle for the ocean and your dinner plate. Thank you. Sure. Okay, so tell me some of the places that you traveled to to do the research for this for this book. Any crazy stories come out of that? <laughs> There's a few crazy stories. Um, in 2013, I had the privilege of, of being an Alicia Patterson Foundation Fellow, which meant that I could travel for the year exploring this topic. And so I visited every cat share in the United States, lots of communities. Basically meant that I spent some time up in Alaska, of course on the Pacific Coast, and in the Gulf of Mexico, and up and down the Atlantic Coast. So in the course of that, I took um, some fishing trips. A uh, very unique experience for me to be on a commercial fishing boat, not something I tried before. A little bit different than just kind of going out in the near shore with my, my stepfather. Um, lots of places to go with stories. I will say that I greatly underestimated my own uh, seaworthiness. Um, <laughs> uh, discovered that I do indeed get seasick. Uh, made that <laughs> made that discovery about 80 miles off the coast of Maine. Um, and also that, you know, ultimately I figured out that there's a cure, which is a nice combination of, uh, you know, the non-drowsy Dramamine and yellow Gatorade and vanilla yogurt. Works for me. <laughs> Don't know why. Um, but in a lot of cases I would, you know, space is at a premium on boats. And so in some cases, I would trade my presence for something, um, try to help out where I could, um, pitch in on the fishing where I could, and one boat. And I think it's important uh, as a writer to get my hands on things and really experience that so that I can convey it real well. And one boat, I traded um, cooking for my place uh, on, the, on the ship. You were a galley cook. I was a galley cook. And that was a pretty fun experience that doesn't end up in the book, but at the same time was really neat for me. Um, I find that bread sets in really uh, uneven, um, <laughs> <laughs> bread sets really unevenly uh, while at sea, it turns out. Um, boiling water is not a thing that you want to spend a lot of time doing. Um, yeah, and that winging grilled cheeses out the deck uh, into people's gloves when they're 18, 30 hours into their fishing can be, uh, you know, it makes you a hero pretty fast. <laughs> okay. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us on The Long Play. Your book is on shelves, the fish market, inside, indeed. inside the big money battle for the ocean and your dinner plate. Thank you. Thank you.